I'm Matt Kuntz. Um, I am the random guy who comes in after that announcement. I am a pastor of a new church plant in Waterloo, Illinois. And um, just recently, well, not recently, they've known the whole time, even before the church was started, but I've told them I'm leaving because I'm getting called somewhere else. I'm a missionary. It's really interesting that this text that we have, I don't know if it's up yet, um, You'll, you'll know what the text is in Matthew 28, um, is a situation where Jesus' disciples are about to lose their Jesus. And before they lose him, before he ascends to heaven, he gives them really hard stuff to do, and he's leaving. But he says, I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age, and it's pretty profound. Um, we'll get into that in a minute, but I want to do some introductions. I am a missionary. Uh, my family would have been here, but they're not because they're sick. Um, but they're the best part of me, so... Um, if I look disheveled and I don't make sense, it's probably because I'm without my family right now. Um, we, we are called to Ecuador, and that's a country between Colombia and Peru. It's, if you've seen the movie End of the Spear, um, Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott, those people worked in Ecuador. Um, it is a fantastic country, has a, a huge need for the gospel. Um, we're going there to try to raise up indigenous leaders, Quechua people, Shuar people, who want to reach out to their neighbors, to tribes who haven't heard the gospel. Um, so the, the blessing is I can go down there and train up leaders in Spanish, people who speak Spanish, but they also speak Kanyari, or they also speak Shuar, and so they can take what they've learned from me and go into neighboring tribes um, and have a much more profound impact. That's a little bit of who... I am, if you want more information, I have put these into your bulletins. If you have these, go ahead and flap them around. Um, this is simply a piece of paper that you can put your name on and your email address. And if you give it, you put it in the love box in the back. I'll get it after the service and I'll add you onto our newsletter list so you can keep up to date with what we're doing. Um, so that's, if you want to do it or not, that's totally up to you. But that's there. If you're interested also, we have some prayer cards. So you can see my lovely family, even though they're not here. I have my wife, Amy, four children, um, the oldest, William, then Angelina, Jude, and Oliver. And interestingly enough, we're supposed to be in language school right now, but we haven't quite gotten there. We haven't raised enough support for our mission board to let us go, and we're almost there. And I'm wondering if part of it, obviously part of it, is because we're supposed to speak here. And I'm really glad that I have the opportunity to preach here on a passage of Scripture that I love and just to celebrate Jesus. Um, I'm also really encouraged as I listen to the music. The song, second song we did, Sweetly Broken, is fantastic. I have tried, I lead music at my church plant. I have tried to do that so many times and failed. And this just went wonderful. Um, it's, our church plant is going to be blessed when I leave because they've got a new music guy who will hopefully be able to do great songs like that. But let's go ahead and delve into what we're looking at. I'm going to go foundational for the start. A little over 700 years before the Christ Jesus was born into the world. During the reign of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, there was a prophet, and his name was Isaiah ben Amos. And he spoke of a savior. God gave him a message, and God told him about that savior. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, it says about that Savior, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's plan 
has always been salvation to the ends of the earth. It's not because the Jews rejected Jesus that the gospel went out to people who weren't Jews. It was too light of thing that only the Jews would believe. It is right for God to be glorified throughout the entire globe. And if you look through scripture, just a preliminary scan, it's all over the place. Um, Adam and Eve, the first people, before they ever sinned, God commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Before they ever sinned, that was, God wanted worshipers all over. But the fall happened. Sin broke into the world. God flooded the world, if you remember, with Noah. Noah gets off the ark, and the first thing that God tells him to do is be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. And that starts to happen, but then people gather together. They're all speaking the same language, and instead of filling the whole earth, they say, let's build a great city and stay here. And we're going to be safe, and we're going to build a big tower. And it was Babel. And God confused their languages so that they had to go over the whole earth because they couldn't even get along with each other. And so in their different languages, they spread out through the whole earth. Um, that's just within the first couple chapters of Genesis. Then you get to when God goes to Ur and picks out a person, Abraham. If you remember him from Genesis, he was the father of the Jews. And God picked him out of a pagan nation and said, I'm going to make you a people, right? And he made a covenant with him, and this is in Genesis 12. It ends, Genesis 12, verse 3, in saying, In you, all the families of the whole earth shall be blessed. And then he renewed it with his son Isaac. Abraham's son Isaac got a renewed covenant because it was through Isaac that the promise would come. And Isaac's renewed covenant said, In your offspring and all the nations, in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. All the nations. Genesis 26, verse 4. Then his son, Jacob, I know this is a lot of context, has a dream. There's a ladder and angels ascending and descending, and God makes a covenant with Jacob, and he says, in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Solomon dedicated the temple. God's glory said this will be a house of prayer for all the nations. Um, if you go through all the prophets, like I read in Isaiah, it's always all the nations, all the nations. Um, from Genesis to Revelation, Revelation 7-9 says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, from every nation and tribe and language and people. That's the plan. That's, that's always been the plan. And Jesus is very adamant about how that's supposed to get done. And that's our text. And that would be the Great Commission, as it's called, in Matthew 28. But Matthew 28 is not the only section. If you want to open up to it, it's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're actually going to start at 16. But it's actually in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in Acts 1.8. The Bible is explicit about how this is going to happen. It's through people. I'll read it to you. Now... The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now I started back a little bit in verse 16. Usually people start in 18. Um, but the 11 disciples went to Galilee. And I just want to recognize the fact that Jesus had just before this died. Three days, rose again in Jerusalem, saw his disciples and said, meet me in Galilee, which is 70 miles away. And they had to do it on foot. I don't know how hard it was, but I'm guessing it was difficult. And he had them do that. 
instead of just staying there, and maybe it's because he wanted them to know from the foundation that it's not going to be easy. And if they didn't get it from the trip to Galilee, then they probably got it from what he told them to do. Because the first thing he says is, go, leave. And that's something that's very difficult for the Jews to hear. They're similar to the hobbits. Has anybody seen Lord of the Rings? Can raise a hand. It's pretty popular. They don't want to leave the Shire. They love it. Everything's right in the Shire. Adventures are silly. Jews were more than that. They not only had a Shire, they had a promised land that God made for them, and he made them for it. That was their place. And beyond that, they didn't go to outside nations because they weren't supposed to be contaminated. They were supposed to be pure and set apart. And Jesus told them to go. And this is very difficult. But God changes things, and he asks us to do difficult things. And I don't know if any of you have heard this before, so I just want to clear up something really quick. Sometimes people will say, actually, it should be translated as you go or if you go. But I want to say that our translators have done well. <laughs> they know their Greek well. Um, if it was as you go or if you go, he probably wouldn't give a location, which he did. Go, make disciples of all nations. Um, he gave a location because they're not going to go anywhere. As you go won't work on people who don't plan on going anywhere. They plan on staying. Um, but either way, he has an intention for all the nations and tells them to go and do that. And if you have any questions about the Greek behind that, I won't preach and get people bored, but you can talk to me afterward and we can go through the part of participles and imperatives and such. But he told them, go, do it, go. And the whole Jewish world before this, their message wasn't go. Their message was come, come and see. They had the temple, the presence of God, with them, the dwelling place where people, if they wanted to come close to God, they would come to Israel, and people did. The Queen of Sheba, the Ethiopian eunuch, a lot of people came to Israel because they knew of the mighty God who freed them from Egyptian slavery. They could come and see these people who were set apart. They didn't eat the same food, they didn't go the same places, they didn't do the same things. Come and see what God is like. But now Jesus changes things. It's not come and see, it's go and tell. Don't come to the temple to be close to God. And the reason for this is because the presence of God isn't in the temple anymore. It's in his disciples. In the section that I just wrote to you, he said, behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. I'm not in the temple. I'm in you. We'll find out later in the New Testament, Paul teaches us that the, whole, the disciples are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is with us. So instead of having to bring people to God, we can take God to people. And that's why the Great Commission has changed things so much. So we will go, because we have the very presence of God with us. And as a side note, if you're ever thinking, as a local church, and I'm a church planter, and I've gone through these things, um, if you're thinking, let's get people to come and see, it's similar to saying, let's stand at the doors of our barn, our church building, whatever, and say, come on in, harvest. Get in here, you wheat. Get in here, you corn, whatever you're harvesting. Um, the commission that we've been given is actually go out into the community. Go to the people and bring the presence of God with you to them. And then you can bring them in. But you can't stand in the church saying, come, why is nobody coming? You always have to go out. That's, that's foundational to it. But that's just a side note. Getting back to the Great Commission. This going is hard. Besides the fact that they have to leave their promised land, it's going to be difficult. And it, it, it might be that some of us, maybe some of those disciples were thinking, Jesus, what gives you the right? I mean, we'd never say that out loud to any of his commands. We don't say what gives you the right. We just don't 
do what he tells us to do. But they might say, why would you make us walk 70 miles and then tell us to leave everything behind, go to places that we're afraid of and we don't understand, and that we'll probably die at, which they did. We have pretty good historical confirmation that every single one of these disciples got killed for following Jesus, except for John. We're not sure what happened to John. He lived a long time. But the rest of them got called to pain. And they could say, really, Jesus? And Jesus would say, yes, yes. It's not like I didn't tell you before. If you want to be my disciples, take up your cross and follow me. It's not like I didn't say before that the foxes have their holes and the birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, and if you follow me, you're going to get the same thing. It's not like Jesus never told them that they're going to persecute the master, and if they persecute the master, how much more will they persecute the servants? He told them if you want to gain your life, you have to lay it down. So yes, yes, he's telling them to go. He's asking them to uproot their lives, their families, their comforts. And going is only the first part of it. We haven't even talked about making disciples yet. But he's saying, go. And he can command this. What gives him the right? Maybe he thought people will ask this question. So he started by telling what gives him the right. And that's the very first section in 18, verse 18. He says, all authority has been given to me. So if you remember, Jesus just rose from the dead. He is the God-man. He is the boss. He can tell them what to do. But it's not just one of those authorities where it says, I'm stronger than you, listen to me. It's one of those relational authorities where it says, why wouldn't you listen to me? If he had to give them a refresher course, it could go something like this. You, disciples, like every single person alive, you were born infected with a death agent called sin. You're dead, and there's nothing you could do about it. Your life would be terrible, it would end in you dying, and then after that, it would be torment, away from God, away from everything that's good and pleasing, everything that is joyful and true. It would be eternal torment that he calls hell. But, Jesus could say, but I came. Not only did I live the life that you were supposed to live, God expected you to live perfectly, but I did that, okay? I lived the perfect life that you were supposed to live, and I gave myself to being scourged, whipped, spit on, mocked, Falsely accused by religious leaders and thieves, I was pinned to a cross by nails that were hammered through the flesh and muscle and sinew and bones of my hands and feet. I was jeered at. If you're the Christ, come down from that cross. But I stayed. And that's not even the worst part. He could tell them the truth. He could say, I not only took that pain, but I took hell for you. Hell on that cross. And you have no idea what I am capable of experiencing. The sadness, the separation that I can feel in my heart. The pain that I can endure and have endured for you. And he died on the cross to make life for his disciples. He died the death that they should have died so that they can live in the inheritance that is his. That's heaven. He rose again so that they can rise with him. He could remind them of that and say, yes, Yes, I have authority, but hopefully it was fresh enough in their mind that they don't have to be reminded that Jesus just rose from the dead. And he could remind them not only that he did that for them, I took your death and I gave you my life, I took your sin and I gave you my righteousness, but he could remind them that it's not about them. It's not just about us. That's too light of a thing. His salvation needs to be known to the ends of the earth. He's worthy of this. It's not right that just us just we believers should have this blessing. It's not right. It's not right that only we should give honor to the Lord. All nations should. And that's his plan. And this is how he tells us to do it. So he can say, I'm worthy of their glory. All authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples of all nations. And now, just as a break segue, if you're a guest, and I understand that there are some guests, <laughs> you might um, 
you might not be a disciple of Christ. You might not be there yet. And I want to say, yes, Jesus is worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your life. And yes, he wants you to be a disciple, and I want you to be a disciple. And there's other people in here who probably want you to be a disciple. But don't get scared like this creepy group of people is going to make me become a disciple. And I, I, this is my first time here. I don't know who's a guest and who's not. It could be any of you guys. But let me say, we can't, we can't force you into this. If you're a disciple, it's because you want to be. And if you don't want to be a disciple, then you're not. The reason we follow Jesus is because he has changed our heart. We have been born again. That's something we can't make you do. We can't do that for you. So don't be afraid that we're going to come behind and dunk you with water or something like that. We can't force that on you. But he does tell us to go and make disciples. And before we go on to that, just notice verse 17. It says they came and worshipped him, but some doubted. And so it is capable to come up and do Christian-y things and hang out at church and not trust Jesus, even after he just rose from the dead. Like I said, it takes a new heart, and we can't give you that. But God can, and that's grace. But moving on, he tells us to make disciples. And he explains how it's supposed to be done. In 19 and 20, it says, Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this is how you make disciples. It's a two-part process. And there's been a, a bit of a problem in missions. I'm a missionary. Um, a little more background. I used to live in Africa. Um, served in Zambia and Democratic Republic of Congo and realized I wasn't trained enough for what I was supposed to do. So I came back, did some church planning, got some degrees, and I'm headed back to the mission field. Um, and as I study on this, I notice in the whole missions world, there's an issue with missions. And I bring this up because the Great Commission, which we're studying, that's that Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is where we get the idea of missions. A missionary is somebody who goes out and does the Great Commission. A commission is giving somebody a mission. So he gave his disciples a mission. This is it. And We've got this problem with new terms. Instead of saying, go and make disciples of all nations, we say, reach. What does reach mean? It depends who you ask. It can mean anything. It can mean go there and preach, go there and drop a tract, go there and do whatever. But if it's anything less than making disciples, then we're missing what the mission in the Bible tells us to do. So we need to make disciples, and the way we do that is two steps. Baptizing, which is not just getting people wet. Baptizing is a symbol of entrance into the church, which means we learn later on in the New Testament, you don't baptize somebody unless they believe. And you, first step of being a disciple is somebody has to believe. If you preach to somebody and they don't believe, you're not making disciples. So sometimes you just have to wait there longer. They believe, they're baptized, they enter the church. But there's a second part that is also part of the Great Commission, and that's in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. They have to obey Christ fully. Now, this step gets lost because most of the groups around that are doing missions around the world say to reach a place is to baptize. And they, they might not say that the verse says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, the end. But it happens. And I've seen it all over the place. Um, in real, real situations where I work, my main work is training pastors. And I have worked with pastors who have been pastors for eight years, 10 years, 25 years, some of them, and I get questions like, um, is, if I, if, for children around, if, if I do the act of cannibalism, do I get that person's sin from them? I say, no, you get your own sin. Don't ever do that. Why would you think that's okay? Or they'll introduce me, say, this is my wife. I'm glad to have you at my church. And, oh, thank you. And this is my second wife. And this is my third. And I'm, Wait a second. How is this happening? And the reason is, because they don't know. I met a pastor who had a few wives, and I said, let's look at 1 Timothy 3. 
what it means to be a pastor. Part of the qualifications are you are a man of one woman. And he said, I, d- I didn't know. And he stepped down right away. He wasn't doing this to disobey God. He was doing this because he didn't know. And the case around the world is that most people cannot read. They would be able to write their name. They would be able to read a stop sign. But if you put a page in front of them and they read it, they have no idea what it's about. They can probably get the words and sound it out. And I can read in several languages. I went to Haiti because I can read Creole. And I read books to people that I had no idea what it was saying. I've read the English version, so I know there's a good message, but I don't know. But they understood. And a lot of people around the world have been given half of the Great Commission. And then they have to lead churches and they have to preach and they don't know what to preach about because we give them a Bible and they don't know how to read it. And so this is a real issue and I would love to talk to you more about that, but I don't have time right now as we preach through this. But just know this, that leaving a new convert in the world or here is like leaving a baby on their own. And if you say, I gave them a Bible, it's kind of like saying, I gave that baby a bottle of milk. If they don't know how to use it, then they're just as, in just as much trouble as they would be without it. And so we cannot be irresponsible and unloving and only partially fulfill the Great Commission, which means we just can't go preach to all nations. We have to teach them as well so that they can go and do the same thing that we did for them. And there's a saying that the quickest way to make an unreached people group is to leave a reached one without discipling them. And I've seen it. I've seen it happen. You know, China has been reached three times at least throughout church history. One in about 1000 AD, one in about 1400 AD, and then again in about 1700 AD. And now we're going back in. And there's an issue because if I get saved, praise the Lord, and if I don't know how to teach my kids, then the church dies with me. And it's really dangerous. And that goes for anybody, guys. If you're leading somebody to Christ, don't leave them there. Walk with them. Who's going to teach them how to read their Bible? You can. Who's again to teach them what Christian life is, how to pray? You guys can do that. So we're called to make disciples. This takes time and lots of work. It's not a one-week thing. You guys would not feel safe saying, I went into Highland for a week telling people about Jesus, and I feel like Highland is pretty well taken care of, and I'm out. Unless there's somebody staying here still working. It's a long-term thing, and it takes a while, so we've got to put that effort into it. Now, moving on so I don't take forever with you guys. Who are we supposed to make disciples of? The verse tells us all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. And that word is pantas ta ethne in the Greek. We don't have a good English rendering of it. Pantas means pan, all, all. The ethne, ethnicity is close, um, but it's peoples. Go and make disciples of all the peoples. And there's an issue because in the 60s, the World Council of Churches got together for a big celebration. The reason is because they said, we've reached every single nation. And what they meant was geopolitical borders that change all the time. We have a church in every single country and people in the, the evangelical circles are trying to consider, what do we do? You know, We've already reached them all. Um, so Billy Graham, 1974, started the Lausanne Council for World Evangelization in Switzerland, brought church leaders from all over the place. And they're saying, well, let's keep on evangelizing if we've reached every single people. And a guy named Ralph Winter stood up and he gave a talk on what he called people blindness. And the gist of it is this. You go into a country and you reach this people. You can walk down the street four minutes and you'll get into another group of people. They don't speak the same language. They cannot communicate, do not communicate. Maybe they're even warring. And these people have no access to the gospel. And they said, we need to start thinking about these hidden peoples who have no access, even though they're inside this geopolitical border. 
And that's where they started to think of people groups. And you'll hear about people groups and missions quite a bit. Um, usually has borders like language or um, you know, even, even just mountains. <laughs> Sometimes you reach one side of the mountain, the other side of the mountain has no chance because nobody's crossing over. Now it's happening less and less that our technology is getting more, but there's, there's borders that keep other people from being reached. So we're supposed to reach all the people groups. Um, now, I'm gonna start talking about some things, I'll define them for you. Unreached peoples, that is not lost peoples. So there might be a lost guy in my household. One of my children might be lost. That just, we use lost as a word if you're a guest for somebody who doesn't, has not been found by Christ. Not a Christian, right? But unreached means something different. It means they don't know who Jesus is. They will live and die and never hear who Jesus is. They have no chance. And with these people groups around the world, we started to study them and say, let's give concerted effort to make sure all these people hear. And this is a statistic. I think it's printed out for you. All the people groups, as far as we can calculate them, there's two different groups that do calculations. I used one of them. There's about 11,505 people groups in the world. Out of those, there is 6,819 that are unreached. And out of those, there are 3,126 that are unengaged. It means nobody's trying to reach them. So why are people unreached? There's a number of reasons. Um, sometimes they just don't want to hear. But really, that's a picture of all of us, right? We don't want to hear. Somebody can bring the gospel and we'll say no. And that's in the Bible. Romans 5.8 says God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still rebelling against God's love, still fighting him, Christ died for us. And that's what it is. We're all like cats. And I've heard a story about a cat that got caught in a flood and a city was flooding and it was out there stuck on a rock and some high school kid swam out to save it. And you know what happens when this cat who's about to drown gets grabbed by this high school kid who's going to go out and save him? It starts scratching him. So by the time he gets back to bring the cat to safe ground, he's bloodied up for saving the cat. And this is really an, a picture of what our heart's like. While we're still sinners, Christ is coming for us. And this is really a picture of a missionary task. If you guys have seen the end of the spear in Ecuador, these guys bring the gospel to some people. And so they say, we'll bring you the gospel. And those people say, we'll bring you spears. You know, and that's usually the transaction. But you don't stop, you keep going. Because Christ didn't stop, he came to us. And we know, Romans 1.16, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And we know that he desires for all nations to believe. So we're going to keep going, we're going to keep bringing that word. Um, but it's not easy. Other things, besides people just not wanting to hear, there's borders um, that keep us from getting to people. I used to live in Zambia, a wonderful country. I mean, all countries are wonderful in their own right, but this was a great country. And... When we would go to the border to reach into Congo, I would talk to the border agents, the police guards, talk to them about how their church is, what life is like, and then I cross the border of Zambia, and it's war-torn. There's tanks, terrible stuff, and there's no man's land for about 200 meters, which doesn't belong to any country, and then you land at the Congo side. Everybody's carrying M16s. They're pointing at you, yelling in French to give them money. You don't know what for, and it's just money for different things. And you have to give out money for a piece of paper, and then they rip up that piece of paper, and you have to get a different one. And it's just a hard place. And these people are the same people, except for some political border broke them up a while ago. But I spoke Bemba with people in Zambia. I could speak Bemba with people in Congo. They're Bemba people. But these borders keep the Congolese from ever getting missionaries, from ever getting a Bemba guy to walk across the border and say, let's study the Bible. I'll teach you how. Then there's language issues. So when I get over into Congo, I went to a city called Puedo, where we'd usually work, and there was a church there, and we, we trained pastors. 
and we'd bring pastors in who spoke Swahili or Lingale or Luba, and we'd work with them. But we were commissioned by a group to try to get to an unreached people group called the Tabwa, and they had their unreached, unengaged. No Tabwa has ever heard the gospel. And so we tell these guys, we want to help you reach the Tabwa. We want to help you reach your own people. And they, they say, we know where the Tabwa are at. We'll get you there. And we're like, okay, let's, let's get in the car. And from Puerto, where we're at, where there's a strong church, we drive 20 minutes in a car. 20 minutes. And we end up at a tribe where there's Tabwa people. And, and I get to preach at a church and... I talk with a Tabwa guy, and, and I ask these church leaders that we're working with in Puerto, why have you not been here? They say, they speak Tabwa. I barely speak any Tabwa. I say, I barely speak any French. You know, these people without hearing do not have the gospel. And by the way, when I was talking to a Tabwa man, I was drinking Coca-Cola with this Tabwa man. Everybody drinks Coke in Africa. Not everybody, but pretty much everybody. And I found out later on, 95% of the world recognizes the Coke brand. They can look at a Coke bottle and say, that's Coke, right? And it was invented in 1896, 120 years ago, right? 2,000 years ago, God came to earth and died in our place, right? And half the world has no idea who Jesus is. And the other half, a lot of them have a pretty misconceived idea. We will go so far for profit, but we won't go that far for the glory of God among all nations. And I'm not trying to make you guys feel guilty about this, maybe. I mean, maybe I am, if, if you're guilty. But I just want you to be opened up to the facts. This is a painful reality. It hurts my heart as I wait here preparing, trying to say, let's get on the field. Because it's a reality, and it's not far away. In the Americas, North America and South America, there's over 900 unreached people groups. You don't have to go super far. It's not an Asia issue. It's not an India, Africa issue. It's here. And, and I know actually in, this is interesting, in Ecuador and Peru, where we're going to work, there's these groups called Uncontacted, and there's about 11 of them that we know about so far. They're in the jungles. Um, they're the 5% that Coke hasn't reached. They, they don't know what Coke is. Um, the reason is because they have no money, um, but largely it's because these are, are pre-Stone Age people living in the jungle, afraid of people, very dangerous, and so Coke has left them alone, right? But also we have left them alone. And we can't do that. The Great Commission won't allow us to do that. So that's, that's part of what we're going to do in Ecuador is try to get into these tribes that have no idea what Coca-Cola is. And we're not bringing Coke. We're bringing Jesus. And, and there's an order in all of this. Like I said, you've got to make disciples. But how are, how are we? You said they've got to be converted and then taught. We've got to reach them and then we've got to teach them. But how, how are we supposed to convert people? <laughs> and, and I said we can't force you into it. But there is a, there is a way for this. And Paul spells it out in Romans 10, so I'm just going to go through it with you. Romans 10, chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's how you get converted, call on the name of the Lord. But how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Okay, so there's how you do it. You've got to believe, and then you call on him. But then he goes on and says, How are they to believe in him who they have never heard? Okay, first you've got to hear who Jesus is. Then you've got to believe. Then you've got to call on him. But how are they to hear without someone preaching? Okay, first someone's got to preach, and then they've got to hear, and then they've got to believe, then they've got to call. But how are they supposed to preach unless they are sent? This is the order. And if you notice the make disciples of all nations that Jesus commanded, that was his, a command to his disciples. But he, taught, he said, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, just take it the next step. They reach somebody. They baptize them. They teach them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. What does that include? The Great Commission. 
They're supposed to go and do the same thing. And it's going all the way down to us. If you are a disciple of Christ and you have been discipled, then you have been taught that you need to observe everything that Jesus commanded, including that great commission. And what that includes is people hearing so that they can believe. And for people to hear to believe, they need to be preached to. And so this breaks down to some options. There's going to be people, maybe here right now, that are supposed to go and preach. But it shows that there's another job. There's people who are supposed to send. And you need to find your place on that and get in it. And so I don't take up too much more time. Holy moly, I've been going forever. Let's just roll this out with some applications to your life. One, remember what it took, what Christ has done for you to be a disciple. Think, if you are a Christian, of all those things that you wish you had never done, that you wish nobody knew about, maybe nobody does know about. And he faced the accusation and punishment of that for you. That's wiped clean. You're forgiven and it's gone. And instead of being punished for that, you get heaven. Now, remember that. Praise him for that. And if you're not a disciple of Christ, then come to the one who took hell for everyone who believes, because all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Trust in Jesus and believe. A second application is go and bring the gospel to where you're called to go. Everybody's called to go somewhere. Some of us are called to make sure those nations get reached and taught. But we're all called to go somewhere. And God didn't wait around for you to come to him. He didn't say, maybe someday they'll come and ask me. He came to us. And he says, you go and do likewise. And don't leave them as babies. I've done this. I've done this. And I've seen the wreckage of this. Don't do this. If somebody hears and they believe, don't stop there. Your mission's not done. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, keep, keep celebrating. But teach them. Teach them how to do the same thing you did. And the last one is get involved with the reaching of all nations. We've considered the plight of more than 3 billion people out there, many of which have no access to ever hear about the gospel. Get involved in it. Uh, there's a preacher named John Piper who's got the simple equation with the Great Commission. He says you can either go or you can send or you can disobey. Those are your options. So if you're not going, then send. If you're not sending, then go. If you're not going, then send. If you're not sending, then go. If you're not doing either of those, then realize that you are disobeying this. Of course, Christ is gracious, but whenever we choose to disobey one of his commands, it's going to hurt us and those around us. But go, send, or disobey, and choose which route you'll follow soon because you will take a long time wondering, and that can keep us from doing anything. But most of all, remember what he did for us. We're supposed to go, but it's because he went. He left heaven. He died for us. We can't we can't ever forget that as the centerpiece of everything in the Christian life. Okay, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for all that you have done. I praise you, Lord, that I live in a place where we have over 20 translations of the Bible in our own language. We get taught to read from a young age and can understand, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see the riches we've been given in that and to share with others. I praise you, Lord, that you would, you would give us the opportunity not only to hear your salvation once, but many times over and over again so that we don't only believe and are saved, but can praise you and rejoice and find comfort in our suffering and encouragement to go onward. I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to be obedient to your great commission in going and sending and praying and in caring, caring enough to give our lives for it because you are worth it and you have all authority in heaven and on earth. Lord, work in our hearts to see you as the glorious Christ that you are with all authority and with us always. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.